welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. I am honored to have a special guest on the show today to talk about an important issue that we've been covering diligently over the past few years, the waters of the United States rule and its disastrous implications for the American producer. My guest represents North Carolina's 7th Congressional District, elected to the United States Congress in 2014. He's in his fifth term in the U.S. House of Representatives. He serves on the House Agriculture Committee and the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, where he's currently serving as chairman of the Subcommittee on Water Resources and Environment. He's been a fierce advocate for agriculture, and he's doing his best to fight this WOTUS ruling. I'd like to welcome Congressman David Rouser. Welcome, and thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's great to be with you. So first of all, tell me a bit about your background and what brought you here to the uh, House of Representatives. Uh, well, I grew up in North Carolina. Uh, my father's side of the family is from Salisbury, just outside of Charlotte. A lot of people in your audience will know uh, Charlotte or at least, at least heard of it. And then my mom's side of the family is from uh, the eastern uh, part of North Carolina, uh, just a little southeast of uh, Raleigh. Uh, there in Johnston County, we have a t- have a farm. My uncle still farms uh, tobacco, sweet potatoes, soybeans, peanuts, and uh, so I grew up working on the farm during the summers, and I always loved agriculture. Uh, went to NC State, where I majored in agriculture business management, agriculture economics, and chemistry of all things. A little trifecta there, and uh, but uh, really wasn't excited about um, you know any of the job opportunities that I had. Uh, I was happened to be in a program over in Prague, the Czech Republic, uh, my senior year uh, that summer before I graduated uh, in December of 1994. And my roommate uh, was from Romania, had lived his whole life behind the Iron Curtain. Uh-huh. Again, this was the summer of 94, so not that long after the fall of the wall. Uh, there were about 60 students in that program, 10 of us from America, 50 from the former communist bloc. And uh, so to hear the firsthand account of what it was like to uh, live under tyranny behind the Iron Curtain, uh, where in essence, uh, you know, your media was dictated and controlled uh, uh, completely. Uh, You didn't have the opportunity to uh, go to the United States or anywhere else for that matter. And it struck me that they knew more about America and its history and its purpose and its founding than we did. Uh, And the bottom line was, uh, it occurred to me, if you don't have your politics right, uh, nothing else works very well either. And so when I graduated that December, it just happened to be uh, the House uh, went Republican for the first time in 40 years, that fall of 1994. Uh, The Senate uh, flipped into uh, Republican hands as well. So I came up to D.C., started knocking on doors, and I landed a job with uh, U.S. Senator Jesse Helms, who was a senior member on the Senate Agriculture Committee. Uh, was uh, a longtime member of the U.S. Senate from North Carolina. Uh, He was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee at the time I worked for him. And I basically handled uh, the agriculture portfolio and trade portfolio for him. And so got a lot of uh, great experience uh, dealing with a lot of high-level officials. And many, many ambassadors and prime ministers, uh, you know, would come by and see Helms. And we'd always talk about uh, the importance of North Carolina agriculture and, and the importance of exports. Uh, whether it be um, furniture, uh, textiles, or tobacco, or sweet potatoes, uh, soybeans, whatever it might be. And uh, so that's uh, that's how I got my uh, career started in the political realm. Uh, later on, uh, worked for NC State University for a while, uh, my alma mater, and and then uh, served in the state legislature for two terms, where I was the, uh, one of the lead co-chairs on the Senate Ag Committee and also led the effort for regulatory reform uh, in North Carolina when I was in the state Senate. 
and then eventually uh, uh, landed here in Congress. I've been on the House Agriculture Committee and Transportation and Infrastructure Committee since day one. Uh, both of those committees uh, fit the unique needs of my district very, very well. I have a lot of Army Corps of in Engineer issues and, of course, a lot of agriculture in my in my district, too. And uh, all aspects of the Clean Water Act, uh, WOTUS, uh, you name it, has a big impact on all of us in rural America and my district in particular. Uh, so I've enjoyed my, you know, my service, uh, you know, on those two committees and, and uh, trying to trying to do what we can to uh, improve uh, the livelihood and opportunities for uh, for all those in rural America. Wow, that's that's quite the resume. And thank you for all of your service these years. Well, thank you. I was also, I forgot this, I'm, I was over at USDA Rural Development as well. Oh, wow. Uh, during the Bush administration, uh, George W. Bush's administration, and did a lot of work uh, uh, there uh, at that particular agency, Rural Development. Uh, I was one of the associate administrators of the Rural Business Cooperative Programs, which the flagship uh, of that uh, and still is is the uh, business and industry loan guarantee program. So uh, I've been a part of a lot of major investments all around the country in rural America. Wow. And so I guess you've been with this from day one then. So can you give us a, a brief background on the waters of the United States rule all the way from back in the, the Obama administration through the Trump administration to today? Sure. Well, obviously, uh, the Clean Water Act, when it was written in the early 70s, I think uh, 1974, as I recall, uh, you know, many times Congress leaves out uh, critical definitions or is it quite as explicit maybe as maybe Congress should be. And uh, so as part of the uh, Clean Water Act, uh, there's reference to uh, water of the United States, uh, but there's no specific definition of what a water of the United States is. And as a result, uh, as you, and as you can imagine, and and just looking at the nature of the term, it, it uh, it's a very subjective term. Uh, depending upon who's looking at it, you have different thoughts about what a water of the U.S. Uh, should be. And so you've had all this litigation, uh, all this um, uh, creativity uh, that has uh, really muddied the water. No pun intended there, uh, but it's probably as good a way to put it as anything. And so you've had all this litigation over the years and different administrations have tried to bring some clarity. Uh, the Obama administration uh, brought clarity, but they went way overboard uh, in terms of uh, the definition where basically uh, uh, any um, uh, pool of water uh, in a ditch uh, or even in a yard, if you had the right bureaucrat show up, uh, that could be classified as a water of the U.S. and and therefore uh, uh, subject you to fines, penalties, et cetera, uh, you know, for violating uh, the Clean Water Act when you had no idea that you were doing any such thing, uh, when all you were trying to do was put a shed in your backyard, for example. Uh, so that uh, the courts uh, essentially uh, stopped the Obama uh, rule. And then later on, uh, Trump, uh, when he got elected, his team uh, looked at it and, and they officially repealed the Obama rule and put in place uh, a much more common sense uh, rule. But of course, the environmental groups didn't like that. So there were legal challenges, legal challenges to it as well. And uh, so you've had this hodgepodge over the years of different standards about what a water of the U.S. should be. Uh, of course, the Biden administration comes in and just like they've done with every rule that was put in place uh, by President Trump's administration, they they reverse it and uh, put in place their own rule. 
And uh, then you had a number of states who have uh, who have said, no, uh, you know, this is quite problematic for us. Uh, and judge basically rules in favor of those who uh, brought the complaint. Uh, the other half of the country didn't bring the complaint. And uh, so here we are again, where one half of the country is under an older standard. Uh, then the other half of the country is, is under the new uh, Biden standard, which uh, I might add is uh, really the original uh, Obama uh, rule, which is cloaked a little differently. But in effect, uh, it uh, creates a hazy, a hazy situation, uh, you know, out there where you're going to have some bureaucrats in some part of the country uh, rule that certain things are wetlands based on um, their subjective definition of the water of the U.S. And in other places, that's not going to happen where, you know, the new rules is, is not in effect at all. Uh, so in Congress, uh, you know, we tried to bring some clarity by going back to the original uh, Trump rule. Uh, we passed a CRA that basically said that uh, uh, or reversed, uh, you know, this uh, new Biden rule. I've uh, got a good, strong bipartisan uh, vote in the House. Uh, not a significant number of Democrats, but uh, a good handful of them. And, and the same in the Senate. Uh, and so it went to the president's desk. And of course, uh, as, as I think everybody knows, he chose to veto the bill. We obviously didn't have the votes override a veto uh, in the House. And so, uh, you know, that effort died there. But uh, from a litigation standpoint, I have to think it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty helpful. And I'm not an attorney, uh, but I have to think it's going to be pretty helpful to have on record a bipartisan uh, opposition from both the House and the Senate on this particular uh, rule uh, as uh, litigation continues uh, in the courts. Uh, Democrat mayors, Republican mayors, uh, stakeholders of all types uh, are very concerned about uh, implementation of this rule. And uh, so I, I think uh, the bottom line is this is going to be a continual battle. Uh, the waters are going to remain uh, uh, muddy uh, in, in this respect. Um, but eventually, I hope that uh, we can come to some clarity. Uh, obviously, the, there's a case before the U.S. Supreme Court, which might bring uh, some much needed clarity here, uh, Sackett versus EPA. Um, and so uh, if the court rules the way many hope that they will, uh, it'll bring a great deal of clarity. Although I wouldn't be a bit surprised if if uh, the ruling isn't uh, a little more parsed and and perhaps uh, muddies the water a little more. So we'll, we'll just have to see what happens there. Uh, but this is going to be a continual, uh, a continual fight. And um, I think you'll see us look at uh, opportunities as part of the appropriations process uh, where we can include policy riders. Uh, one such being, uh, you know, no new, uh, no funding can be used to, uh, uh, implement uh, this new WOTUS rule in the states, uh, you know, where it's still applicable. Uh, so little uh, measures like that, I think uh, I think you'll see us take a good, strong look at and probably pursue as well as this moves forward. Yeah, those are those are some great steps. And uh, in the veto, President Biden stated the increased uncertainty caused by Resolution 27 would threaten economic growth, including agriculture, local economies, downstream communi communities. Farmers would be left wondering whether artificially irrigated areas remain excluded or not. So how is he coming to that conclusion there? And, and do you have any insight into his thought process? Because it just seems completely opposite of what this reality. Well, well, he's he's right on the point that we we do need to have some certainty and and yeah. uh, transparency here. 
but all the exclusions that he refers to there, and there are a list of exclusions that this administration put in place as, as part of this rule. Uh, but as I mentioned on the floor one day during debate, uh, you know, the other side was talking about the exclusion for farmers, X, Y, Z. And, and my point is uh, you're excluded until you're not excluded. Uh, you're excluded until uh, that particular bureaucrat uh, shows up and decides that, um, in his view, uh, you've gone way beyond the definition of a water of the U.S. and and uh, therefore you lose your exclusion. Um, you know what the government granteth, to get, the government can taketh away, and uh, all dependent upon the viewpoint of, of a bureaucrat. And so, um, and that's part of what I was referring to earlier when I when I mentioned. Uh, that uh, this was cloaked just a little, you know, it, it was cloaked a lot differently than the uh, original um, Biden plan, uh, pardon me, the original Obama plan. But it's in, in essence uh, pretty much the same. Uh, they try to make it different with all these exclusions. But again, uh, one day you're excluded, the next day you're not. Uh, that's that's the problem with this. Right. Yeah. And so back to um, the judge's decision on April 12th, Judge Daniel Hovland, he blocked Biden's clean water rule in 24 states, and his ruling said that the court is skeptical that the Environmental Protection Agency has the authority to regulate waters as expansively as the rule permits it to. So what does it mean for those states, those 24? Well, for those 24, they're the 24 that uh, filed suit uh, in opposition uh, to the rule, asking for the courts to invalidate it. And uh, so obviously that's a good first step for them. The problem is the rest of the country has to live with the rule as it currently is. And uh, but I do think uh, the Sackett versus EPA ruling will will bring some clarity. Although, I'm uh, as again, uh, as I mentioned before, it may not be uh, quite the clarity that uh, everybody is is hoping for. I think it might be a little more nuanced. Uh, so we'll just have to see. This this is going to be a continual battle. Uh, we'll continue to um, uh, try to address it uh, from the halls of Congress as, as best we can. Uh, but we're in a divided government. Uh, you know, uh, the Democrat Party has the majority in the Senate. The uh, Republican Party has the majority in the House. Uh, and Democrat Party has, has the White House. And until we get uh, some more like minds, um, you know, here on Capitol Hill and in the White House, it's going to be hard to uh, get the clock kind of common sense clarity uh, right. that we had with the Trump rule, but we're going to continue to fight for it. That's great. And what can people do to help? What it, What's the constructive way that we can all help in this issue? Well, not to be over political about it, uh, but elections have consequences. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, it may sound WOTUS um, uh, or Waters of the U.S. may sound like it doesn't have anything related to you, uh, but uh, it could derail uh, neighborhoods, uh, homeowners. Uh, you could find where you put up a fence around your house. A bureaucrat comes out one day and says that you violated the Clean Water Act, and all of a sudden you're facing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of fines. Uh, you're being prosecuted by the Army Corps of Engineers. Just things that you think are, are totally and completely uh, insane and can never happen in the United States. Well, it can happen. And in fact, it already has happened uh, in a number of cases. Our own John Duarte, uh, who's a new Republican member from the House of Representatives or from California here in the House of Representatives, uh, he was prosecuted, fined, et cetera, uh, where he he took a, a piece of property that he had acquired, historically had had uh, weed on it, if I recall correctly, 
and uh, had prepared it to uh, plant his wheat. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the Army Corps and the EPA come out and uh, say that he's uh, uh, violated the uh, Clean Water Act, that that's really uh, technically a wetland. Uh, yet there's no water anywhere on it. Uh, they're coming out there doing all these soil samples and and all this stuff. And it, and it's really just um, amazing uh, the amount of headache and, and uh, financial stress that these government agencies and bureaucrats can put people under uh, for really no good reason at all. And quite honestly, it, it's, it's very tyrannical, uh, if you ask me, and certainly if you ask uh, John Duarte or anybody else who's been prosecuted. Yeah, yeah, that's unbelievable. And you've been working um, on also, you know, on so many other issues. This isn't just the the only ag related issue you've been working on. Um, you're on, uh, as we said before, the House Ag Committee working on this year's Farm Bill. So what's the current trajectory and what are you hopeful about? Well, the Farm Bill obviously uh, comes up uh, for renewal every five years. And um, uh, this year, uh, September 30th of this year, the, the current law, current Farm Bill will expire. Uh, and so the House Act Committee has been uh, very busy uh, traveling around the country, participating in a number of listening sessions, holding a number of listening sessions around the country. I've been to uh, uh, one in Texas and California and had a, a really nice Ag Roundtable in North Carolina uh, where we talked about the needs that farmers have. And generally speaking, all around the country, uh, the needs are pretty much the same. Uh, you know, one is labor. Uh, they got to have labor. Now, that's not a category uh, that uh, fits within the jurisdiction of the House Agriculture Committee, uh, but it's obviously critically important uh, for farmers because they've got to have labor to get uh, uh, crops planted and 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 get uh, get harvest out of the field. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, strengthening the uh, crop insurance uh, safety net uh, has been a key focus in all these uh, farm bill listing sessions. Obviously, the uh, input costs have gone up significantly. Uh, the price of uh, diesel fuel, seed, fertilizer, uh, ag chemicals, uh, you know, speaking of the EPA, as we have been, the EPA is looking at sideline in a number of key chemicals. Uh, that are used uh, for uh, food production. Uh, sometimes I think we forget that our farmers are not competing with each other. They're competing with China and Brazil. Uh, they're competing with those countries that manipulate their currencies, uh, undercutting our ability uh, to sell uh, you know, product uh, internationally. Uh, these are countries that uh, they don't have an Endangered Species Act. Uh, they could care less about an Endangered Species Act. If they want to build a canal, they just go build a canal. Uh, if they want to uh, grow twice as much cotton than they did the year before, they just go do it. Um, you know, there's no no effort towards conservation or good environmental practices or anything else. Uh, and, you know, it's a very cutthroat uh, business. And so I, I, I really think the entirety of the federal government and state governments as well need to understand uh, what our farmers are competing against day in and day out. And so uh, it's really important, therefore, to uh, have a good, strong farm bill uh, that uh, that meets the needs uh, of our growers, uh, you know, when they need it the most. Uh, you know, you could farm over a 10 year period and maybe only have two really good years. Uh, the other eight, um, you know, were either a disaster or 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 maybe, uh, you know, you broke even. And uh, so it really is a very risky enterprise. Uh, not just from the standpoint of all the competitors around the world and all their bad practices that put ours at a disadvantage, 
but also from the standpoint of weather. Um, and, you know, people forget, too, that farmers are price takers. They're not price makers. And uh, so whatever whatever that price of that commodity is, is is what they receive. Um, it's not uh, it's not what they uh, uh, it's not like they can pass on all the extra cost as many other businesses do to the consumer. So it's uh, agriculture is a unique beast. Uh, you know, when you when you lose a farm in my neck of the woods in partic- particular, it's either going up into solar or it's going more likely to uh, development uh, and just because we have so many uh, new people moving into the area. Yeah, those are excellent points. And can you tell me a bit about the work that you're doing on the resolution to repeal the Department of Labor's H-2A adverse effects wage rate rule? That's a mouthful, but. (laughs) Yeah, well, just like with the uh, WOTUS rule, uh, we uh, introduced a CRA, which is a Congressional Review Act for both uh, the WOTUS rule and, of course, this new labor H-2A rule. And uh, the CRA is a unique legislative vehicle. It allows Congress to repeal a recent rule or regulation that's been put out uh, by an administration. And the CRA only requires 51 votes in the Senate. So you don't have to get the usual 60 vote threshold uh, to uh, bypass a filibuster. Uh, These are non filibusterable um, uh, vehicles. And uh, so with the new H2A rule, um, you know, the House has basically put forward a, a CRA. Congressional Review Act that repeals uh, this new rule from the administration. And um, I'm anticipating uh, we'll have a uh, successful vote in the House. Uh, we'll see what happens in the Senate. Uh, but this is this is one that uh, that as well uh, may um, uh, may get a little bipartisan support. It won't get as much bipartisan support, probably, uh, as the uh, WOTUS uh, CRA did. Uh, but I'm hopeful that it will, and we can at least, um, you know, hopefully make the administration uh, rethink uh, their position on this. Uh, great. And so I've lost one last question for you. Why do you serve the industry and fight for it? And what did God put you on this earth to accomplish? <laughs> well, I ponder the latter question all the time. Yeah. I, I suspect that uh, most most of us most of us do, um, but uh, you know I I got involved in politics uh, because I recognize that um, you know if what we have in this country is is very precious, but it's also you know very fragile. Uh, and if you think about it, uh, some of the core strengths of America are our natural resources that we've been blessed with, uh, whether that's uh, raw earth materials. Uh, minerals, uh, oil and gas, uh, natural gas in particular. I mean, we have a ton of natural gas uh, we're sitting on, uh, you know, in this country that now thanks to uh, new technological innovations um, such as fracking, uh, we can get to places we've never been able to get to in terms of uh, extracting uh, that natural gas. And uh, it's very uh, very efficient, uh, low cost, um, and a lot less carbon uh, footprint, uh, you know, with uh, with natural gas as well. And agriculture, uh, we really are one of the key bread baskets of the world. Uh, you travel out to California and see what a bread basket that is. Um, in my part of the uh, country, uh, southeastern North Carolina and the southeast of the United States, uh, a lot of specialty crops, um, uh, a lot of uh, animal uh, 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 production, 
protein production. Uh, I have a lot of hogs, turkeys, and, and chickens in my district, uh, you know, beef cattle. Uh, you go out to Montana and you see the cattlemen out there and, um, you know, in the western part of the country. And and so we, we really have such a diverse uh, mix of agriculture and product that we produce in this country, which is not only critical to uh, feeding our, ourselves, but helping to feed the world. And I've always said, if you can provide your own energy uh, and export it to the world, if you can provide your own food uh, and, and the world as well, uh, you have the underpinnings, uh, the basic principles in place uh, to be very, very strong at home and very influential uh, and strong abroad. And uh, so it's a part of not only our um, uh, domestic uh, prosperity, economic prosperity, but it's a key part of our uh, our national security and, and our leverage on the uh, on the foreign stage. Awesome. Yeah, very well said. And um, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, um, where can people find you? Well, they can go to the website, uh, rouser.house.gov. And uh, we have a uh, Facebook page as well and, and Twitter and, and then, of course, uh, Instagram, too. And, uh, of course, it's always easy. You could Google any one of us in Congress and probably find all kinds of information, uh, hopefully most of which is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, if you just Google David Rouser, R-O-U-Z-E-R, you'll find more than you want to know. Uh, but the uh, House website, my official website is uh, rouser.house.gov. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. And I might add, too, we have a newsletter that you can sign up for on that website, rouser.house.gov. And a lot of people do. It's got a, a significant number of subscribers and about a uh, 44% uh, or so open rate, which is pretty phenomenal for an email. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks all to all who are watching or listening as well. If you want to learn more, all the links are provided in the show notes. And I would love it if you subscribe and share North American Egg Spotlight our YouTube, Rumble, or Telegram channels, and the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great day. Our newest podcast by North American Egg is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture, Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com, available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. Looking to list equipment? Fastline Auctions knows farmers, and farmers have trusted Fastline for their equipment needs for over 45 years. With unmatched digital reach, and direct-to-farmer catalogs, they can find the right buyer for your equipment. Not to mention, they have the industry's lowest commission rates. And if you're looking for equipment to buy, you can bid with confidence. No buyer premiums, no reserves, just integrity. Fastline Auctions, your trusted platform for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6.30 p.m., to register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar. That's northamericanag.com slash fastline hyphen webinar to register now.